What is up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Boom Athletics High Performance Podcast. I am your host, Seth Boomsma, bringing you another episode here today. This one was with Dr. Joel Martins of Kyrosport in Hartford, South Dakota. This one was hard-hitting. We've been wanting to do one of these for quite some time. Uh, I mentioned in the podcast a few times that you could put a hidden microphone in some of our treatment sessions, and you would just see the wealth of knowledge that Dr. Joel Martins has. Um, In this episode, we really dive into the influence of the pelvis on injury prevention and rehab, prehab scenarios, as well as some mobility exercises for athletes and coaches out there as well. Uh, You know, before we dive into this episode, I just wanted to state that we are now on Apple Podcasts on iTunes as well as Spotify. So if you could head over to either platform and just leave us a nice review or even just give us a a five-star rating. If you feel that we are a five-star podcast, definitely give us one of those so we can continue to grow this podcast and have amazing guests like Dr. Joel on. So without further ado, let's dive into this podcast. Dr. Joel Martins, how are we doing today? Good. Perfect. Well, I'm excited to have you on because, you know, like I said before, with uh, trying to get this podcast aligned, I think we could uh, just have a hidden microphone in a lot of our sessions that you treat me. Yeah. And I think we would just dive into so many topics that would just be intriguing for others. So I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, why don't we touch on your background a little bit? You know, I, my background is not anything terribly extensive. I, as you know, I went to high school with you. Yeah. Uh, we competed in our, you know, together in track. We did the four by one, four by two together with good times. Um, graduated from Tri Valley, did my undergrad at the University of Sioux Falls, where I played football for four years. Um, did got my biology uh, degree there, and then from there I went on to Northwestern Health Science University up in Bloomington, Minnesota. That's where I got my uh, chiropractic degree. And um, since then, I've been back here in Hartford, South Dakota. Um, I've been treating a little over a year, which has been awesome. I've seen a wide range of high school athletes. I've seen newborns. I've seen the geriatric population, and it's been awesome. And on top of the chiropractic gig, I'm also an assistant strength and conditioning coach out at the University of Sioux Falls, so I'm kind of came full circle back home, and it's been amazing since. Yeah, I love that. You know, so I want to give kind of our audience an insight into who Dr. Joel Martins is, because he mentioned we went to high school together, and I've known Joel since probably we were like five or six. You know, we pulled up a t-ball picture here a couple yep. of months ago, and uh, one thing I wanted to throw out there is the first time I ever lifted was entering my eighth grade year in the summer. And I, that was the first year you could participate in the Tri-Valley Acceleration Program. And I can remember Joel was entering his freshman year. And I was sitting there bench pressing for the first ever time in my life. And we were doing, I was doing like 95 pounds and I failed on like the second rep. And I remember Joel came running over. He's like, come on guys, teach him the proper technique. And this, it still sticks out in my mind because I look over at Joel and he's just drenched in sweat and he's, work, he's the hardest worker in that gym. The hardest work in the weight room. And I'm like okay, if this guy's working this hard, I need to step up my game. So I want to thank Dr. Joel Martins for setting an example for me because I've always believed what you do in one thing translates to everything. So when 10, 11 years later, when it came full circle and I saw Joel make a post on social media that he was done with chiropractic school and he was starting at Kairosport, I was like, hmm, I'm going to go check him out. 
And now we've had such a great relationship for the past year and a half, really. And I've sent all of my athletes that need treatment to him, and they've had nothing but success. So I want to thank Dr. Joel Martins for that, and I just had to tell that story so you guys can see an insight into how hard this guy works. No, I definitely appreciate that. That's some kind words. So when an athlete comes in, we're going to touch more on the athlete topic today in chiropractic. Um, when an athlete comes in, what is the typical protocol when looking at them for the first time? So, that, you know, that's a pretty uh, complex question, but it's a, definitely a good question. I, um, you know, they, athletes come in with different injuries all the time. You get a baseball guy with a shoulder injury. You get a track athlete with a hamstring injury. And the, the injury list is endless. So as far as protocol, um, it's very specific about what we're working with. Um, but typically what I would do is have someone come in here, you know, go over their history. That's, you know, very basic. Um, see what happened, what they've been working with. The one thing that I dive into that I don't know, and I could be wrong, well, maybe not all practitioners might dive into is, um, we really look at their background with strength and conditioning. Cause you know, I have a background in strength and conditioning. Um, and with that combined with chiropractic, I take a look at the whole picture. Where are you starting at? Um, what have you been doing? And what basically led up to this injury? Because there's no way as a 17-year-old high school athlete, you're running casually 70% down the field, you pull your hamstring, that body wasn't 100%, and then it just snapped and went. You know what I mean? There's something that led up to this. And then there's weak links in every single body. And I try to use that information in order to, to figure out to not only heal the injury that comes into my clinic, but to prevent any further injury moving forward. So, like I said, kind of a complex situation because it, it's different from athlete to athlete, but for sure, protocol for me is to dive into the strength and conditioning lifestyle that they're living, um, and then as well as, you know, the sports-specific part of it too. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, so you've kind of touched on how uh, – the influence of the pelvis and pelvic alignment goes into injury prevention as a whole and just recovery from injuries. Uh, do you want to touch a little bit more on that? I could go on for hours and hours, as you know, Seth. We sit here in clinic and we <laughs> we talk about this, and then I, I block you out for half an hour for treatment, but then it turns out to be a whole hour we're exactly. sitting here talking about. But, yeah, the, the lower back, I mean, to kind of – make it more simplistic, the nerves coming out of your low back control everything from, uh, you know, organ function down low and then, you know, muscles, bones. It's all innervated by those nerves. So what's happening with your pelvis and your low back influences absolutely everything going on. And then obviously, you know, from a, you know, a sports standpoint, we're performing at the highest level compared to, you know, walking down the street or walking your dog. You're sprinting at 100%. You're making cuts that no one really can do outside of what, you know, what you're doing at that moment. So anything that's going on the low back and that's affecting the muscles, the bones, the ankle or the joints, anything, and you're doing at a very high velocity, a very high power output, um, it's going to get uh, amplified, essentially. So you're making a hard cut. There's something going on in that pelvis that's influencing um, your knee, your ankle. 
then all of a sudden tweak your ankle because it wasn't ready for it. Or, you know, in some cases, tear your ACL. Uh, people don't ever think that the low back and the pelvis has anything to do with it. Where I've seen in my clinic, it has everything to do with it. And it's like, I mean, I can give you millions of cases, and it's crazy how powerful and influential the low back is for athletic performance and injury prevention. Yeah. Yeah, so, you, I mean, that's just covering the surface. Oh, level. very surface. You're, you're not even diving deep no. into it. So do you have an example of an athlete that you have worked on and it came from that pelvic alignment? Uh, yes. I, so one that just sticks out, and you and I have talked about this a couple times. Um, I have an athlete, college athlete, extremely talented kid. Um, so he, this last year um, during the football season, he had injured his hamstring. I think it was a grade two hamstring. I wasn't very heavily involved at the time because um, the athletic trainers at the school were dealing with it. Um, they got him recovered, or so they thought, and um, he attempted to come back, I think, later in that season because it happened pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Well, it just lingered and lingered and lingered. And anyone that knows, if you have a, you know, if you have a legitimate hamstring injury, it takes, you know, it takes a while, but eventually within the next two months it should be ready to go. Yeah. You should be fine. You should be ready to roll. Well, this thing is, this happened last August, and currently it is uh, going on to August here in a couple of weeks, and we're still finally almost got him 100%. Now, this is the funny part. So they did all the direct hamstring work. Uh, you're, you're scraping, um, your ultrasound, your stretching, your exercises, all on top of that. He saw... PTs, he saw the ATs, they did all this work, and he still, about every time he got to about 60% on his um, sprints, feel it. And it didn't feel like it was going to like you know explode by any means, but he felt this catch every single time. Catch, catch, catch. Well, kudos to the athletic trainer over at um, USF. Um, he actually reached out to me um, and asked me to take a look at this case. So I go in there, and we're looking at him. Um, and then I do my standard lower back pelvis um, examination on him, and we're testing his hamstring. While he's laying on his back, we test his hamstring strength, relatively solid, but he felt pain the second we started putting resistance on it. Mm-hmm. Well, then I started doing some pelvic changes, um, and that pelvic changes changes the structure and the shape of his low back, which, as we just kind of um, touched on, influences those nerves coming out of the low back and those indirectly um or directly influence everything that's happening down below so we make those changes with the pelvis we retest instantly it went from like a five out of ten pain to a, i think a one or maybe even a zero out of, zero out of ten pain so we knew right there the low back was playing 100 percent influence on what was happening with his hamstring yeah so since then he did i think it was nine months of actual therapy directly on a hamstring He's seen me for maybe two and a half weeks. I haven't even really touched his hamstring outside of maybe a little bit of work. We've worked strictly on his low back. And we got, just this morning, I got a call from the athletic trainer. Um, he finally got to 100% sprinting today. Um, and he felt pretty good, pretty darn good when he got there. So and that was nine months of work that basically was plateaued. And then within two weeks of working on the low back, we got him. Close, darn near close to fall camp coming up here. Incredible. Yeah. I, I love that story. So when with this particular 
um, patient for you? Was it a mobility issue? Was it a weakness issue? What, what was kind of the root of the problem? And it's funny, actually, you say mobility and weakness because I kind of view those to go hand in yeah, hand at yeah. times. Uh, but for him, it, if I were to take one of those two, it would definitely be a weakness I- issue. So you know my one of my biggest exercises I give all my patients is the posterior pelvic tilt mm-hmm. exercise. For those who don't know, it's an exercise that basically um, controls your pelvis to roll it in such a way that influences the spine. Um that everyone should be able to do both consciously and subconsciously, especially for the athletic population. Mm-hmm. Now, we try to do that with him. He could not do it. I have, you know, seven, eight-year-olds that can do this motion. He physically kept, it should kind of look like a bridge, but not be a bridge. He kept bridging, kept bridging, using his lower back to do it, using his hamstrings to do it. They should be all glute and um you know, front you know, abdominal work, and he couldn't use any of it. Was not engaging, and that tells me right there his entire life he has not used his glutes. Even though I mean, I'm sure he can hip thrust 200 pounds, he's not properly using his glutes. And I know people always say your glutes aren't turned on, your glutes aren't turned on. People are like, well, what, is, what does that mean? It actually, means everything because when your glutes aren't turned on and they're weak. And I don't want to say they were, like, structurally weak. Neurologically, they were weak. Mm -hmm. They just weren't firing off. And so when they don't fire off, other muscles have to compensate to make up for that to uh, complete the movement patterns he's trying to accomplish. And he's a defensive back, and anyone that knows football, defensive backs have to do a lot of hip work, a lot of sprinting, um, just a lot of athleticism in general. So it was 100%, uh, you know, mobility and weakness, but... The weakness was huge with him, and so we had to basically neurologically re-educate him so he knew how to turn them on, and so he became neuro- neurologically strong. So all of a sudden, within like, I don't know, a day, we were able to start getting him to figure it out, and then he could just pop him up, pop that movement out, and he could just feel the difference, night and day difference, yeah. symptomatically in his hamstring. Yeah. Good. Great story. I, I, I think that hits on exactly what you've been kind of talking about with yeah. the pelvis. Um, so for those listening, you know, and, and for me too, because I work with a lot of athletes and a lot of athletes come in, they have anterior pelvic tilt. Um, and I'm sure you probably see a lot of the same thing. So before we dive into that, I want you to describe to you, everybody what what's posterior pelvic tilt is versus anterior pelvic tilt, just so people kind of have a general idea, and then we'll dive in a little bit further. Absolutely. So if anyone can kind of visualize the pelvis girdle, or the pelvic girdle, um, it can move, lean forward, or it can lean backward. Now I'm doing this motion with my hand. Obviously, you're the only one who can see it, Seth. But if you can, you can spot someone out. Um, you look at someone in the street, and then they look like they, as weird as this sounds, like the big booty syndrome is basically what we call it. <laughs> yeah. Their butt sticks out. They have that arched back. They almost like, hey, that guy looks good because they have a big butt. You know what I mean? That's actually what we call the anterior pelvic tilt. Now, anterior refers to like moving in front of you. You know what I mean? So when that pelvis rocks anterior, the butt, butt itself lifts back. And then your back, lower back, actually arches. And so... That's what you would see on a typical person um, walking down the street. You could probably pick a lot of people out that have that anterior pelvic tilt. Now, the posterior pelvic tilt is the exact opposite, where the posterior or the, the pelvis is rolling the other way. So you normally see a looks like someone with a slouched low back, kind of 
flat, um, butts kind of tucked in under them like a like a dog when they get scared. Yeah. And they tuck that t- that tail right between their legs. That's essentially what the difference is between the anterior and the posterior pelvic tilt from a from an outside perspective, just mm-hmm. looking in. So, and with a lot of the athletes that come in here to your clinic, do you see what percentage do you see on each end? That's actually a good question. Um, I'd say the overwhelming majority of people have the anterior pelvic tilt just because we live in a society where sitting is a predominant force. Now, when you sit, your hip flexors are shortened. I mean, they are doing exactly what a hip flexor does. It flexes the hip. Now, if in any motion of your body, if you passively, you know, let's say we flex our our arm, that bicep is just going to be shortened up. It's not going to necessarily be contracted, but it's going to be shortened. Now, that anterior pelvic tilt is exactly because of that. You know, we sit all day, the hip flexors get super short and super stiff. So then when we stand up, if anyone understands what a hip flexor does to the spine and we stand up, it actually pulls those vertebrae forward. And so it will yank that pelvis to rock forward. And that's essentially what we get is the anterior pelvic tilt. So you kind of blame chairs. Yeah. That's kind of the big. It's kind of the big one. Now it's not everything, and it's not every one, but that's essentially what we see. Yeah, and and when I have athletes come in, whether they're youth, junior high, high school, collegiate, post collegiate, whatever the case may be, it seems like at least ninety five percent of these athletes have this anterior pelvic tilt. Yeah. At least in my case, and so I want to know what your opinion is. I think. A lot of it's from school system. You just grow up sitting in a desk, you know, like seven hours a day. So what are some different mobility exercises and whatnot to help cure that interior pelvic tilt? There's a laundry list I love to give, and you know you've done them all because I've written up a pretty extensive mobility program for you. Um, Biggest one, well, I shouldn't say the biggest one because I don't know if I could really prioritize these ones. Um, whenever it comes to muscles and spinal mobility, it's a combination of loosening up the muscles that are chronically tight and short and strengthening the muscles that have been chronically weak or neurolog- I should say neurologically chronically weak. Um, and then on top of that, providing a nice mobility for the spine itself. Now, some of these exercises kind of kill two birds with one stone, so they're all great. First one I would definitely suggest is um, doing some soft tissue work on that hip flexor. Now, I should kind of preface this with with explaining what exactly hip flexor we're talking about because I think hip flexor is probably the most mistaken muscle. Here's the thing, people. There is no muscle called your hip flexor. It's not an actual muscle. There are a group of muscles that make up your hip flexors. Um, Everyone... I've ever met when you say hey point to your hip flexor you're going to point at kind of the top of your quad and that's what everyone thinks of it's the one that gets pretty tight it is a hip flexor one of the hip flexors but it's actually your secondary hip flexor Um, and that's the one we call the rectus femoris that runs from you know um, bottom of your hip all the way through your knee and makes up one of the quad muscles Mm -hmm. now the hip flexor I'm referring to is your primary hip flexor it's your psoas your psoas major now this big muscle you can't really feel unless we dig, and you know we can yeah. dig. So this muscle actually attaches to the bottom vertebrae of your spine, and then it runs all the way down to your thigh. 
and then this this is very deep inside of your body um, and this is the one we need to get in order to get this one what you do is take a tennis ball the cross ball and if you're really tough take a baseball um, lay on the floor on your stomach get that ball right between the hip pointer which is what we call the ASIS and your belly button so you kind of move you know I, I always generally say about two finger widths off that hip pointer towards the direction of your belly button take a deep breath in deep breath out let that ball ride right into the corner of your abdomen you're gonna feel like you have appendicitis right away it's gonna be <laughs> yeah. a nice sharp pain um, and that's your psoas muscle that and I tell a lot of people don't feel like you have to roll or move let the ball do its work mm -hmm. um, classically like foam rolls people are just bang it out and rolling from ankle to hip, you know, for 10 minutes thinking they're getting a lot accomplished. Well, in all reality, if you put it directly on one sore spot and let it rest for a minute, that's probably going to be a lot more efficient. So that's what I would suggest for the soft tissue standpoint. Get that tennis ball right up on both both hip flexors for about a minute each, at least once a day. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I like how Dr. Martin said here that you literally don't even have to move with the uh, the softball or tennis ball or lacrosse ball, whatever you're using, you don't even have to move because it's going to be such a high point of pain <laughs> when you first start off with it. Yep. You can just hang out there and it's going to re release a little yep. bit. Now, and there's a whole bunch of other techniques that we can run through, but, uh, I mean, let, let the ball do its work. Less is more sometimes. And I see it classically. People try, like I said, the foam rolls are a classic case where people are trying to do too much. It becomes counterproductive. Mm -hmm. So, um, moving forward from the soft tissue standpoint, we want to do the exercise strengthening standpoint. So, when it comes to this um, anterior pelvic tilt, we want to loosen up the chronically tight muscles, like we said. So, that'd be the hip flexor. And then we want to strengthen the chronically neurological weak uh, muscles, which would be the glutes and the lower abdominals. I'm sure everyone in their entire life has had a tough time getting that lower part of their six-pack. And it's not, it, it, a lot of it has to do with, you know, obviously losing the body fat down there. But as far as actually building up the muscles on your rectus abdominis and the down low, it's because no one knows how to cue their pelvis right. Mm -hmm. You try to do crunch or leg lifts, well, how many times are people just hinging at the low back rather than actually rolling their pelvis? And I tell all my athletes at USF this, you're never going to get that lower abdominal fired off if we never learn this pattern right. And this is exactly what's going to help you strengthen both the lower abdominals and the glutes to help correct this anterior pelvic tilt. Yeah. So what you're going to do is you're going to lay on your back and your knees are going to be bent and your feet are going to be on the floor. The goal, now this is going to be kind of tough to explain through just strictly words, so you guys are going to have to close your eyes here and try to picture this with me. On your back, knees bent, feet on the floor. You're going to want to roll your hips so that those hip pointers roll towards into your gut and towards your chest. Okay, so your butt's going to kind of lift off the ground. It's going to look like a bridge, but it's not going to be a bridge. When you bridge up, basically from your shoulders to your hips to your knees is like one solid plank when you're looking at a correct bridge. I don't want that. I want, if I were to look from you at, you at a side perspective, it should still be a nice, you know, angle between your hips, shoulders, and knees. Because what's happening is you're just tilting that pelvis. You're not straightening out that spine. Um, some good external cues for you to do 
or to think about while you do this um, is picture you have a piece of paper right between your glutes, both cheeks, as goofy as it sounds. Picture that you're going to try to pick, pick that piece of paper up with your glutes. That will help you contract those glutes. And then while you're doing that motion, simultaneously picture your belly button driving into the table or the floor or whatever you're sitting, you're, you're laying, laying on. If you can do both of that, you'll all of a sudden see your pelvis rock up. And it's very subtle. Um, I mean, as you know, Seth, like your butt barely comes off the ground. Yeah. And, but you'll feel it. You should feel it all in that lower ab and your glutes. You start feeling in your low back as far as like muscle goes then you're doing it wrong. Now, you might feel some slight discomfort down there. That's because we have some dysfunction in the spine that's happening, and it's putting extra pressure on. Mm-hmm. So that might be something where, if that's the case, definitely go see a professional and see what's going on with that. Yep. And for those listening, too, you can check out Dr. Martin's uh, Instagram page and Facebook and whatnot. But on social media, he posts a lot of inf- informational videos at, at Dr. Joel Chirosport. Um Every time you post a video, I always learn something new or just kind of reiterate what I'm already doing. Um, so when people come into Kairosport here, what, what do you have to offer? You know, because I know you have a lot of modalities to work with. What are kind of like those top three modalities that you have to work with? Absolutely. So number one, I, and, this is, and this is no break by any means, but I think just the adjustments and the muscle re-education would be the best thing that we can provide. Um, I know a lot of chiropractors do a, gra- a lot of great work with the adjustments, but I think it's important to retrain the body um, to use the correct muscles and how to you know how to use them properly, um, so that spine is in the best shape as possible. The next actual therapy that I always promote because I see this all the time with you know as a chiropractor, I see low back patients all the time. We have a table called a decompression table. Um, what it does, it, it straps you in. It's same concept as those inversion tables. I flip you upside down, stretches out the spine. Right. This is kind of an upgrade to that. We strap you in, a harness around the waist, and then it connects to a winch that um, runs through this machine that we can program how much weight is pulling your back in the opposite direction of your torso. Um, and so you get a nice, clean, oscillating stretch with that spine to take pressure off the joints, to take pressure off those discs. So any kind of inflammation that we get, um, we're basically taking mechanical pressure off of it. Um, so that's my, probably my favorite therapy that we have in here. But then we also have a really nice tool called the Arp, Arp Wave, and you're very familiar with the Arp Wave. Um, what the Arp Wave is, it's um, it's basically under the family of your electric stem machines. Um, closest relative would probably be like the Russian stem. Now anyone that's familiar with um, the Russian stem, they're used very well for muscle actual re-education, muscle growth. The ARP wave is used in very similar fashion. Um, one unique feature with the ARP wave that we can do is actually take the two pads and scan the body so we know exactly where we need to place them. You, you'll see a lot of times when people put on the, those basic stem machines, they'll, they'll slap it just kind of around the area where it hurts. And that's not necessarily the case because, case in point, uh, my athlete that came in that I was explaining earlier that the one time we worked with his hamstring was when we used the ARP um, I was suspicious that if I tried scanning just his hamstrings he felt zero um, current going really? through his leg really? we kept one down on his hamstring and then we ran the other pad up to his low back lit up just like crazy so it just kind of confirms and, and tells you what's really the issue 
And for him, it was the low back, and it was affecting his hamstring. And it just kind of connects the dots for everything on that. Mm -hmm. So the ARP wave and the table. Now, we do other work like the Graston tools that we do the scraping, um, and we do a lot of self-massage work. Um, and so we got a, a laundry list of things that we like to use, but those are the big ones. Yeah. And, and there could be literally a whole other podcast in those modalities, especially the ARP wave machine. Oh, yeah. Um, especially because I know that has helped me quite a bit in my um, injury prevention and whatnot. Uh, so athletes and coaches are listening to this, and they're kind of wondering, what, what can they incorporate in their warm-up or cool-downs that will help influence this pelvis and everything? And what can help warm up, you know, low back, get the glutes firing? So what are some you know, go-to exercise that you recommend for people to incorporate in their warm-ups? Big ones are actually, you look to the yogis. The yogis got it figured out because they, um, they really, you know, it looks like they're just stretching out their legs and stuff like that. They're actually crushing it when it comes to the spinal mobility portion of things. Um, I run my athletes, especially like on a lower body, high sprint, um, high volume squat day. We do a lot of lower back mobility drills. Case in point, the cat cows. Now, if you're not familiar with the cat cows, go ahead and YouTube it. They're everywhere. Do the cat cows. Do the child's pose, the cobras. Those are great. Um, we, If you're looking to get some really intense type of mobility programming, you can look up Eldoa. It's a very extreme mobility um, type of uh, programming for both your upper back and your lower back. But those are the big ones. Now, with the glute activation, uh, I always do mini band work, um, clamshells, fire hydrants, stuff like that to just turn those glutes on. The pelvic tilts are always huge. Um, if you, if anyone's familiar with Stuart McGill, um, he does the McGill Big Three. Um, he does the bird dogs, the curl ups, and curl ups are b basically a modified modified version of the pelvic tilts that mm -hmm. I explained, and your um, lateral planks, and those three are always huge to turn on the core, get things fired up. Um, and I can't emphasize enough, like I would rather do those mobility and glute strengthening warm-ups rather than like a high dynamic stretch. I, mean, I obviously take both, but if I would say you take one athlete and, or two athletes, and one's going to do strictly just hamstring stretches for the rest of their life, um, and they're going to go sprint. And then the other one's going to do strictly just mobility work, and then they're going to go sprint. I'm going to bet that the mobility guy is going to have less probability of tearing a hamstring than mm -hmm. the other guy so yeah those are the big ones that I do every morning with my uh my athletes yeah and you mentioned cat cow and I, I remember you making an interesting uh tidbit to me at one point mentioning how if somebody's in like anterior pelvic tilt you want to do the like the opposite was it absolutely so kind of describe that a little bit more with the cat cow so yeah cat cow uh, let me explain it just a little bit um you're going to be in the quad position hands and knees and then so the cow is when you're going to arch that back belly is going to go towards the ground and it's going to basically put you further into that anterior pelvic tilt now the cat is you know you've seen a cat get scared their back jumps up and rounds really big and it's going to be similar to like when a dog gets their you know tail tucked between their legs mm -hmm. that's the cat so when i have basic mobility programming i will tell them to do both now if i know someone's got um a severe anterior pelvic tilt or severe posterior pelvic tilt i'm going to have them do the opposite and not do the one that um basically puts it into further um respected you know tilt so let's say someone has really far anterior pelvic tilt, I'm not going to have them do the cow. 
I'm going to have them strictly do the cat. Because if we have an issue in anterior pelvic tilt, in my mind, why would we continue to put them into that anterior pelvic tilt? And even further, push, push, push. And so I have a couple athletes right now that have that anterior pelvic tilt, strictly have them doing um, cat, our cats. Mm. So, Yeah, I love that because... I think that's so important, you know, for me, I've always kind of grown up with the anterior pelvic tilt, and Dr. Martins can speak to that, and we've made some drastic changes just in this past year, but there's still a ways to go, oh, yeah. and I, I definitely think incorporating that into these athletes' warm-ups that you guys are working with can be so influential in how they develop. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we, we could really just go on and on and on with this whole podcast, um, and we're definitely going to have Dr. Joel back here at another time for part two. Um, but I like to finish things up with a speed round. Uh, so you're obviously really busy. For those that don't know, he's married. He's got, you know, a young kid, um, which is a cute little boy, by the way. Uh, so what is kind of your daily routine to stay motivated and manage the uh, time? Oh, boy, that's a great question. Um, well, coffee helps. Let's yeah. Coffee is definitely helps. I always suggest organic coffee um, with a little bit of organic grass-fed butter to kind of start off your day. That That's always my go-to. Um, my biggest thing is don't be afraid to find time to break up your day. It gets so hard to push yourself through the day when you're just 8 to 5. The only break you get is lunch. Now, I, I get it's hard for a lot of people to have those desk jobs that you have to just be there 8 to 5. But find something within that time to kind of somehow break it up, whether it's going for a little 15-minute walk. Because when you take a break and then the only thing you do is go back, go to your phone, that's just not going to cut it. Um, so, like, for me, for example, um, throughout this day where I see patients, I'll give myself, like, a 10-minute break where I know I'm blocking myself out where I don't see a patient. And I'm not going to do paperwork on that 10-minute break. I'm going to go um, quickly outside, go for a little walk. Um, I'm going to, you know, call my wife. I'm going to do something, you know. And I re I realize that's on my phone, but not for the, yeah, <laughs> not social media and just scrolling through. Um, I have the luxury also where I um, have an hour and a half break of lunch where I will force myself to either go get a quick workout in or go to the driving range. And I know I have that luck. I understand I have that luxury. But uh, something along those lines where you you literally disconnect yourself from your work for at least a couple minutes. Um, now, I also always try to take the time. I go to USF in the morning around 4.30, and then I get back right around 7.45-ish, and then I have my first patient at 8.30. I, tr I could easily come straight here to the clinic and just shower up by the, I have a gym nearby. Um, I could do that and just go right into work. I make a point of emphasis to leave USF about 10, 15 minutes early so I, I go home so I can have breakfast with my family yeah. um, because I think that's so important just to not completely um, take a 10-hour day, 12-hour day away from your family. Um, those little things. Those, I mean, find important things in your life that you that are outside of work and then spend those five, ten minutes dedicated to those five to ten minutes. Love it. Love it. So what what kind of workouts are uh, you doing nowadays now that you're done playing college football and everything? And I have the luxury, since I don't have any any specific activity or sport outside of rec league softball, <laughs> um, to kind of mess with my workouts. Uh, I've dipped a little bit into the CrossFit style. I've dipped a little bit into the 
bodybuilding a little bit. I, I don't fully invest in any of these just because from my standpoint, I think if you can mix it up, the better off you are, as long as you're being smart with it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a time restricted with, with how much time I get uh, in the work or in the gym. So I do a lot of the hit workouts, um, a lot of the high interval stuff at a short amount of time. Um, makes you tired really quick. Get that in 30, 35 minutes. So that's basically what I've been doing. I like to incorporate the Olympic lifting while I do that because that's what I've known for my whole life, and I, I miss I, I would miss not doing it. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Uh, so who have been some of your biggest influences, both in the strength and conditioning coaching world as well as the chiropractic world? Well, I gotta start off with you, Seth. Honestly, and I, I know this is I'm being dead serious here. Like, this is a guy that I remember when we were in high school. He was bragging about me when we were eighth grade, but I remember. You know, we would go work out in the gym during basketball season. Me, both Seth and I um, ended our basketball careers halfway through high school, um, so we committed it to the, the weight room. I remember I would kind of do what I thought was a good workout, um, you know, curls, <laughs> squats, like five days a week, yeah, you know. And then I'd look out the window, and there was Seth doing probably the exact same stuff he's preaching to these kids today. He did the research and took the time to really look to – what would help advance his athletic development and at such and he tells you know he's told the story he cleaned out his refrigerator started doing clean eating at what the sophomore year yeah i mean who does that i i'm 27 in the chiropractor i preach you know health and wellness and i still have a beer every day (laughs) i mean it's crazy what this guy has done and how intelligent he is and i bounce ideas back and forth with him all the time to help me in both my chiropractic setting and strength and conditioning so Without a doubt, you are definitely one of the most influential guys. Um, from chiropractic standpoint, I actually got to give it to one of my colleagues. He's um, um, actually my boss, Ross McDaniel. He's the one that he's the one that I saw at a young age when I was I think I was a sophomore when I injured my low back in sports, mm-hmm. and he's basically paved this path for me to get where I am in the chiropractic world. He showed me everything as a patient, a high school patient. What he was doing, he was a great friend of mine growing up, and then uh, as I continued my education, he was always in contact with me, and then I, you know, I, now I work with him. And any questions I have, whether business, chiropractic, uh, even strength and conditioning, he's, he's got his CSCS as well. Um, he's always there to help me. Family life, he's, he's a great guy, and I, I've always looked up to him on the chiropractic sense. Um, and then when it comes to strength and conditioning, I actually have to give it to my other employer over at USF, the head strength coach, Zach Mathers. Um, he was the strength coach there when I got there. We both came in at the same year. My freshman year was his first year working at USF. And um, he's got to be probably one of the most influential guys I've ever come across. Um, not only just the strength and conditioning standpoint, this guy has taught me kind of, you know, be a man type of, you know, you know, strength and conditioning in college athletics is kind of acclimating you into the real world, actually, mm-hmm. um, how to be responsible, how to hold yourself accountable, and he's done an incredible job of that. Um, I can go on and on about all three of you guys. Um, I always, you know, the, the obvious ones are my parents. They've been yeah. amazing, and then my wife. She's superwoman. She's absolutely superwoman, but, I mean, in regards to those three, those three, you three, I should say, um, those those ones stick out yeah without a doubt absolutely 
So one last question. Uh, are you reading a current book right now? And also, what is one book that you would recommend for coaches and athletes to read? Can I do podcasts? Because I, yeah, I, I yeah, hate to say absolutely. it, I'm just a terrible reader. Um, for whatever reason, reading is not something I'm very good at. I struggle. My wife knows that. <laughs> so uh, definitely a podcast guy. Um, there's a laundry list that I listen to. Um, I'm huge with nutrition and not necessarily sports nutrition, but like clinical nutrition, how it affects uh, everyone um, from diabetes to thyroid issues. Um it's actually, her name is Emily Schramm, uh, Meathead Hippie is the name of the podcast. She's a, she's a um, clinical nutritionist, I, I believe, uh, is the title. I, I'm probably botching that. Um, but uh, she does a lot of good work on her podcast um, as far as lifestyle, um, updated research with um, nutritional programming, um, supplementation. And I'm not talking about protein and creatine for your muscle gains, I'm talking about magnesium and, you know, for mental health, for gut health, you know, probiotics, um, that's the kind of nutrition I really dive into. I know this is kind of branches away from the athletic talk, but in my chiropractic clinic, we deal a lot with people with like fatigue and stuff like that. So without a doubt, meathead hippie. Nice. Love it. Well, uh, Dr. Joel Martins, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do a podcast with Boom Athletics. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to sneak a hidden microphone in <laughs> so, so our audience can hear some of the topics we dive into because, I mean, we, we touch on so much oh, information God. that's probably over a lot of people's heads. Yeah. But if you could grasp it and just listen to it one time, I think you guys would learn quite a bit and just how our minds work when we meet with each other. Uh, but anywho... Oh, I would really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. This was an awesome podcast. Thanks for having me. I love it. I love this. Perfect. Thank you guys for listening to this latest episode of our podcast. If you would like to check out more on Boom Athletics, you can head over to boom-athletics.com or on our social media pages at Boom Athletics. I am Seth Boomsma signing off and stay tuned for the next one.